That was great. Well, again, good morning, friends. Thank you, brother. How do you like Aaron's new haircut? Looks pretty good, huh? <laughs> it looks pretty good. <laughs> Got to get him go a little bit further, and he'll be really sharp looking. This past week, I read an interesting statistic put out by the World Health Organization. They reported that the death rate around the world today, you know what it is? It's still one per person. Isn't that awesome? That's right, one per person. And you know, friends, for every one of us here this morning, there is coming a day when this life will come to an end. We'll have our last meal, take our last breath, and, of course, we'll speak our last words. That idea of last words, in particular, seems to hold a real fascination over us when we think about the end of our lives. And I think the reason for this is because we instinctively understand that what a person says in the end is a real insight into who they were during life, what they stood for, what they lived for. And the fact of the matter is, friends, most people will end their lives just like they lived their lives. In my own life, thinking about last words, I always remember my final conversation with my grandpa Krauss, my mom's dad. What a blessing his inspiration and inspiration his last words have been to me. My grandfather spent the last two weeks in the hospital in Green Bay, dying of stomach cancer. Died a very hard death. And I remember my final conversation with my grandfather. We had read scripture together, we prayed together. The last thing my grandfather said to me before he fell asleep and the last time I talked to him, he grabbed my forearm And he said, Jason, stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. My grandpa was a real hero to me. He loved the Lord with all his heart and served him faithfully his entire life. And I'm so thankful for the model of faithfulness that he left me and the model of a faith that inspired him all the way to the very end of his time here on earth. And friends, I hang on to the memory of my grandpa and his final words to me because they remind me of the kind of man that I want to be. They inspire me to want to live faithfully for the Lord, just like my grandpa. You know, friends, someday you and I are each going to share our last words. Will they be words of hope, words of faith, words of encouragement? I hope they will. But you know something, that's going to be determined by the course we set for our lives right here today. The choices we make, our priorities, our faith. And so this morning, friends, what better way for us to orient our lives than to follow my grandpa's admonitions to stay in the Word. Stay in the Word. So why don't we do that this morning? Let's go to God's Word together. Today, we're going to be in the second week of our series looking at the book of 2 Timothy. Now, my opening thoughts on last words today weren't by accident. 
If you remember from last week, or if you're just joining our series today, the book of 2 Timothy is actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his young protege named Timothy. And you may recall that Paul is actually writing this letter from a dungeon in Rome. Paul has been imprisoned by the infamous Roman emperor Nero. And he knows his time on earth is short. He's going to soon face execution for being a follower of Jesus. So what we're studying here today, friends, are actually Paul's last words to this young Christian named Timothy. And what you need to understand is that Paul and Timothy were very close. You see, Paul was a spiritual father figure to Timothy. He had mentored him in his faith and trained him up to be a leader in the growing church. These guys were close. They loved one another, and they had been on the front lines of ministry together. And Paul is writing Timothy here out of his love for Timothy and his desire to spur Timothy on in his faith and his leadership over the church during a very difficult time. You see, for Timothy, he was going through the ringer when Paul wrote this letter. His mentor and friend Paul was in prison, about to be executed. And Timothy, he's leading a church in Ephesus, in modern-day Turkey, that is filled with division, filled with all kinds of heretical teaching. And on top of that, he's trying to shepherd other new Christians during the most intense period of Christian persecution in the history of the Roman Empire. Friends, not only was the message Timothy was proclaiming not popular to the culture around him, but now even the government was actively persecuting the church. Friends, this guy was under tremendous pressure and stress. And from the section of Scripture we're going to look at today, it appears that Timothy may have been ready to throw in the towel may have been ready to just give it all up, wondering if all the trials that came with following Jesus were worth it. And so this is why Paul writes these words to Timothy, this final letter, to encourage him to press on, to press on. Let's read together 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-12. through 12. Paul says, So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Wow. Powerful words here from the Apostle Paul to his young friend Timothy. 
But not only for Timothy, friends, powerful words for all of us too. And I want you to think about this. What a privilege. What a privilege that God saw fit to let us eavesdrop on this letter from Paul to Timothy. When you understand how these words have served as an encouragement for countless Christians over the last 2,000 years. And not only throughout history, but even to this very day. What a privilege God gave us these words. Now this morning, I want to highlight for you three profound truths that Paul communicates to Timothy here in this section of Scripture. These were truths that Paul wrote to encourage Timothy. But friends, they're just as relevant and important for us here today. And truth number one this morning is this. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must be prepared to suffer for the gospel. Look again at verse 8. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Friends, Paul was suffering for the gospel. And he tells Timothy here to be ready to suffer as well. And we too, friends, need to be prepared to suffer as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm willing to bet that for some of you here today, this might be the first time you've ever heard someone tell you that you might suffer for being a follower of Jesus. And if that's the case, it wouldn't surprise me because the possibility of suffering for the gospel isn't a popular message in our American church today. You know, it's far more popular to talk about how Jesus wants you to have your best life now or how God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And you know, friends, while those things are absolutely true, what we often fail to recognize is that God defines those concepts far differently from how we define them. And God's plans for our lives, His plan is an eternal one whereas our plans typically focus only on our immediate concerns. And if we're being honest about it, usually our immediate concerns don't include plans to suffer for being a follower of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? But friends, you need to understand this, and you need to be prepared. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, and if you take his commands seriously, his commands to live for the gospel, and to share the truth of the gospel with non-believers, friends, I'm going to tell you, you're very likely going to face persecution for it. And why is that? It's because the message of the gospel is offensive to a non-believing world. You see, friends, a Christian is one who affirms and proclaims God's revealed truth that men and women are sinners in need of a Savior. And we declare to the world the truth that there is no other way to salvation apart from Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. In John 14, 6, Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, friends, you need to understand that's an offensive message to our world today. First off, most people don't want to hear that they're a sinner. 
in need of a Savior. And then to claim that Jesus alone is the way and the truth that leads to salvation. Friends, that certainly isn't a popular message in our pluralistic culture today that says truth is relative and all religious paths are just as good as another. A few years ago, I was sitting here in my office and a buddy of mine called me up and he said, Jason, have you seen this website, cruel.com? I said, cruel.com? Yeah, of course, it's bookmarked. It's one of my favorites, right? I was like, no, I haven't seen cruel.com. What's cruel.com? He goes, Jason, you need to go and look up cruel.com. So I typed in my internet, I went onto the internet, typed in cruel.com and found this website where apparently this guy had made it his mission in life to scour the internet looking for examples of what he deemed to be intolerance and bigotry. And as I read through the list of articles that he had highlighted, you know, I found one, a neo-Nazi Hitler rap group. I found another one about a child pedophile ring. And as I'm scrolling down, all of a sudden I see, don't invite Jason Carlson to your next interfaith gathering. I said, hmm, I wonder what this is all about. So I click on the link. Well, apparently this guy had found an article that I had written for another Christian apologetics website. It was an article that I had written about Islam. And he took one quote out of my article on Islam, how I conc- the concluding quote from my article where I said, friends, we need to be in prayer for the millions of dear souls who've been enslaved by this false religion. And we need to pray that God would reach them with the hope of the gospel. Now, friends, because I would dare to claim that Islam is a false religion and that Muslims need the hope of the gospel, this man deemed me worthy of a place on cruel.com along with neo-Nazi rap groups and child pedophiles. See, friends, the message of the gospel is an offensive message to a non-believing world. And I'll tell you something, no matter how loving and respectful we might be in communicating the gospel, and we need to be loving and respectful. 1 Peter 3.15 says, communicate the gospel with gentleness and respect. But friends, no matter how loving and gentle we are in our communication, we need to be prepared to suffer for standing for the truth and for the gospel. And that suffering might come in the form of name-calling and ridicule. It might come in the form of damaged relationships. Sometimes it may even mean overt persecution. So just know this. Just know this. This is part of the deal. It's part of the deal if you're a follower of Jesus. Jesus himself told us to be ready to suffer for the sake of the gospel. In John 15, 20, he said, Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. He also reminded us about the divisive nature of the gospel. In Matthew 10.35, he told us that standing for the gospel would turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He said a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now, friends, please understand this. Jesus isn't calling us to go out of our way to be divisive. But he wants us to understand very clearly. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy here as well, as Timothy faced his own trials. We need to be ready to face opposition when we stand for the truth of the gospel. We need to be prepared for it. 
so that we don't falter. We need to determine up front to remain faithful to the Lord in the proclamation of his truth, whatever it might cost us. And no matter what the world around us might say or do, we must never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that leads me to point number two today, truth number two this morning. Truth number two is this. The gospel, friends, is no cause for shame. The gospel is no cause for shame. Friends, we have no reason to be ashamed of the message that we proclaim to the world. No matter how offensive our culture may deem our message to be, we needn't be ashamed. And why not? Well, in our passage this morning, Paul highlights two reasons why we need not be ashamed. Reason number one is we need not be ashamed because the gospel is the good news. The gospel is the good news. In verse 10, Paul says that Jesus Christ has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, friends, that's good news. Jesus has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And what does that mean? Well, friends, it means that Jesus has revealed to us the answers to the most important questions of life. Let me ask you something, friends. Do you want to know how you can have life to the full? The life that you were created for? Do you want to know the meaning and purpose of your life? Do you want to know the truth about eternal life, how you can live forever? If you do, friends, then you need to look to Jesus because he has brought the answers to these questions to light for us. He's brought them to light through the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel, friends, literally means good news. And what's the good news? Well, friends, the good news actually starts out with some bad news. Romans 3.23 says that all of us are sinners who fall short of the glory of God. You and I, all of us, we're sinful. And because of our sin, we are separated from our holy God. But here's the good news. The good news starts with Romans 6.23. It says, while the wages of our sin, the penalty of our sin is death, the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We then read great passages like the famous scripture, John 3.16, where we hear that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. We then read in the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just, and he'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then, friends, in John 1, verse 12, John tells us that to anyone who receives Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gives them the right to be called a child of God. Man, alive. What a great message we proclaim to our world today. Friends, it's a message of love, of hope, of inclusiveness, of freedom. Jesus has brought life and immortality to light through this gospel that we profess. 
My friends, you don't ever need to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.16, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It's the greatest message in the world. It's the message our world needs to hear. And friends, God has given us the privilege of taking this message to those who need to hear it. So don't ever be ashamed. Now the second reason Paul reveals for why we need not be ashamed is because our gospel, friends, is rooted, our gospel hope is rooted in a risen Savior. In verse 12, Paul says, Yet this, the gospel, is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Here in this verse, Paul reminds Timothy that our faith as Christians isn't just wishful thinking. Friends, we're not making a blind leap of faith here hoping that all of this is true. Rather, Paul here tells Timothy, and I paraphrase, don't be ashamed. This gospel is real. It's the truth. I know Timothy because I know Jesus. And he lives. He lives. You see, Paul was convinced of the truth of the gospel that he was suffering for. And he was so convinced that he even encouraged Timothy and all of us to join him in suffering for this truth. And where did this confidence come from that Paul so boldly proclaimed? Well, friends, remember, Paul was at one time named Saul. He was a zealous Jew and a notorious persecutor of Christians. He was an accomplice to the murder of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He had been a hunter of Christians and was responsible for much of the persecution in the early Christian church. But now here he is, sitting in a dungeon in Rome. And why? Because Saul, now Paul, had become convinced that Jesus truly was the way, the truth, and the life. And he was so convinced that he would soon give his own life for the sake of the gospel. Friends, how do you explain that kind of transformation? It only makes sense in light of what Paul himself tells us. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains that he had seen the resurrected Jesus. And when Paul saw Jesus, who had been brutally tortured and crucified, when he saw that man now risen from the dead, Paul knew that he truly was the Son of God. And it changed Paul's life forever. He knew and was convinced that Jesus truly was the hope of the world. And he was willing to give his all for the sake of Jesus Christ. And Paul encourages Timothy here, and all of us as well. He says, join me in suffering for the gospel. It's the hope of the world. 
Friends, the ridicule is worth it. The persecution is worth it. Trust me, this is the real deal here. Jesus is the real deal. I know. I'm convinced of it. I've seen him. He lives today. Friends, we don't worship some dead prophet. We don't worship a man-made idol of wood or stone. We worship, and our gospel is rooted in a risen Savior. And because of that, and because Jesus lives, we have no reason to be ashamed. Don't ever be ashamed. Now lastly this morning, truth number three is this. Friends, when the day of suffering arrives, you will not stand alone. You will not stand alone. One of the great promises of Scripture, and it's a promise affirmed by Paul in our passage here today, is that if God calls you to suffer for the sake of the gospel or to stand boldly for his truth in this world, friends, you will never stand alone. God will stand with you. He'll empower you to face whatever opposition, whatever trials, whatever heartache you might encounter. In verse 8, Paul says, Join with me in suffering for the gospel. By what? By the power of God. He says, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. A few years ago, I had the great privilege of traveling to China with my dad and brother. We had been invited to teach a group of Chinese Christians, underground church planners and missionaries who were working on planting churches in northern China and ultimately into North Korea. One of the great privileges of my time during this trip was having the opportunity to meet older Christians who had lived through the persecution of the Cultural Revolution of the 1960s and 70s. The Cultural Revolution where Mao Zedong murdered millions of Christians. I remember one gentleman we met first thing we noticed when we shook his hand were the scars on his wrists. Scars from where he had been chained and imprisoned for over 10 years. We asked this man, we said, sir, would you mind sharing your story with us? He said, in the mid-1960s, I was a professor at one of the largest universities here in China. When the communists found out I was a Christian, They came to my home one afternoon and they took myself, my wife, and my 15-year-old son outside. They put their guns to the heads of my wife and my child. And they said, if you do not renounce Jesus Christ, we're going to kill your kids. We're going to kill your wife. Friends, what would you do Before this man could say anything, his 15-year-old son shouted out, I will never renounce Jesus Christ. The communist shot him right in front of his parents. They then put their gun to the head of his wife, and they said, will you renounce Jesus Christ? And she said, never. And they pulled the trigger. Because he was a man capable of doing physical labor, he was taken to the 
work camps where for the next 10 years he spent his life chained up in the evenings or doing hard manual labor during the daytime. He shared with us how during that time the only source of spiritual nourishment that he had was an old English songbook and he actually had it with him and he pulled it out. It was tattered and worn. This old songbook that half the pages were missing. And he said, this is what I used for my Bible study every day. We said, sir, would you mind sharing us, sharing with us some of your favorite songs? And he flipped through the songbook and started reading, I surrender all, all to him I owe. He turned the pages. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. I asked this man, I said, Sir, were you ever tempted to just renounce your faith, to just give up and tell them what they wanted to hear. He said, no, no. He said, my Lord has never let me down. Where does that kind of faith come from? I'll tell you something, friends, it's certainly not natural. That's the kind of faith that only comes from the power of God. The God who's promised us that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And friends, you can count on that power too. If God calls you to stand, you will not stand alone. Let me just close with this. Some powerful promises to us from Psalm 91 about God's faithfulness towards his people as we boldly stand for the Lord. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. 
He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. God's promises, friends. Don't ever be ashamed. You'll never stand alone when you stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words of encouragement from the Apostle Paul. We thank you, Lord, that you saw fit to let us eavesdrop on this letter that served as such an encouragement and inspiration to Timothy. That Timothy, we know from other scriptures, did continue to press on. He ultimately himself faced imprisonment for the sake of the gospel, but he was inspired to do so by the power of your word and these great promises you've given to all of us here in the book of 2 Timothy. We thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness to us. And Lord, we know that our profession of the gospel, it's the message that this world so desperately needs, but it's not a popular message in our world today, God. And we wrestle, Lord, with our own insecurities about sharing the good news of the gospel. And I just pray, God, that you would inspire us with boldness and with passion and with a heart for the lost people in our lives, God. Let us never be ashamed of this great news that we carry into the world today. And let us be prepared, God, to suffer on behalf of your truth and your gospel. Whatever it might cost, whether it's ridicule or damaged relationships or even overt persecution, Lord, give us the courage to stand boldly. And may we, as the Apostle Paul declared, never be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Jesus, we thank you for your promise that you stand with us as we boldly go into this world. Remind us of that today, God. Encourage us in that today. Inspire us this week as we go out into the world, Lord, and as we talk with people. Remind us, Lord, that you stand with us, that we are empowered by the living God who is our refuge and our strength. Thank you, Jesus, in your precious name.